0: Perfect. Scotty! Sit. Who's a good little lamb? Done yourself again this year. I did, didn't I? Yeah. Oh, how adorable. Good boy, Scotty. Good boy. <laughs> So at Christmas time, there's two types of people. There are those that hate Hallmark Christmas movies, and then there are those of you that actually thought that intro video was awesome. There's <laughs> two different types of people, right? <laughs> Misty convinced me that people would love them, and so you have to love them. It's up to you. Uh, but those bumpers, those we call them bumpers, intro videos for sermons. They were actually developed by uh, a church that we partner with that did a series like this uh, not too long ago. And so if you fit in category two, if you thought that was great and you love Hallmark movies, then make sure and join us for the next two weeks as this saga unfolds uh, as we watch before the sermons begin. Uh, if you're a little more like me and you fit more into category one, there's actually some good and positive news for you. I ran across this story recently, and this is important for us. That Hallmark researchers say they're they're close to developing a second movie plot. So, <laughs> right, it's it's gonna happen someday. I I can't wait. Right. All that being said, hey, it is Christmas time, which is actually really crazy to me. Like. When you're young, it's especially super young, even for these guys, I mean, Christmas takes forever to come back around it. I mean, it literally feels like it takes a year for Christmas to come back around. When you get older, for me, like, Christmas was like last week. Like, especially for me and what I do for a living. For, for me, like, man, it's a big ramp up to Christmas. Christmas is over, and you guys don't think about it for another 11 months. But for me, my teaching team, we'll get together in February... <laughs> and we'll decide what Christmas series we're doing next year. And then my service programming team will start programming and planning what Christmas Eve will look like in August. And so for me it just gets so shrunk and the, the time just goes by so fast. But I will tell you, every year I still kind of get all the feels when it gets to Christmas time and The decorations go go up. And John mentioned it earlier. I know there's a a huge debate about when those should go up, when decor should go up for Christmas. And I used to to fight hard. I I was a staunch, like, day after Thanksgiving guy. My family didn't have a ton of traditions, but that was definitely one that we had. We didn't put up anything until the day after Thanksgiving. But now, again, as I get older, man, I'm here for it. I'm here for it all. I put it up the day after Halloween. I don't care. because, (laughs) Because here's the deal. I've realized... I am no less thankful at Thanksgiving if there's a Christmas tree in the living room. It doesn't change anything for me, and I get to enjoy the Christmas tree that much longer. Yeah, right. So at this point, we've all seen it, right? Like, we, we walked in this morning to a Christmas wonderland here at the Relevant Center. It's awesome. So we've seen the, the trees and the lights and the, the decor for a while. And, and no doubt you've seen the signs and, and the bumper stickers and the T-shirts, and you may even have one, that say this, that Jesus is the reason for the season, Man, I, I certainly appreciate the sentiment. Of course I do, right? I, and I'm all for Jesus versus the kind of commercialization of Christmas and the whole idea of let's keep Christ and Christmas. Obviously, I, I'm with that. And yes, we certainly celebrate Christmas because it was when Jesus was born. But if what Jesus had to say was correct, and hopefully by now it's obvious, I, I believe it was, and, and if the writers of the New Testament, what they had to say, if that was true, and, and again, I, I certainly believe it was it might be much more accurate to say that you are the reason for the season that that i'm the reason for the season because without us really there'd be no christmas or to be more direct if we weren't such a mess if we weren't such a mess no christmas no christmas because that's the big idea right like for god so loved the world that for God so loved this messed up and rebellious people that he actually, he decided not to run from us. He actually decided to come our direction, to come towards us by sending us a savior. But maybe, I, I was thinking about this, if messed up people, if truly screwed up, messed up people are the reason for the season, maybe it's time for some new t-shirts, right? So if you don't want to travel for Christmas, I, I came up with this one. This one says, my mother-in-law is the reason for the season, <laughs> Right? Hey, Betty, if you're watching, not you. I've heard stories from these people. They're sad people. They're mothers-in-law. Actually, more honestly, right, this is the T-shirt that I should be wearing. It says, "I, I am the reason for the season. Right? I am the reason. Because if I wasn't so messed up, if I didn't have so much going on inside, if I wasn't so screwed up, there'd be no need for Christmas. Christmas was for my benefit. Christmas was for your benefit. And it benefited us in so many ways. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look at three reasons. Three reasons Jesus actually came. Three, three specific reasons that God sent us Jesus. The first reason that we're going to look at today came to us kind of by way of what I will call the story of Christmas. To which you're probably already thinking, well, Matt, we're, we're pretty well versed on the Christmas story. I mean, we've got this thing down. We've been hearing it for quite a while. And, and you're absolutely right. You are pretty good at the Christmas story. But for some of us, and I would venture to say most of us, maybe a lot of us, uh, we're not quite as familiar with the story of, or better yet, the backstory to the Christmas story. I joked earlier about the storyline for Hallmark movies always being the same. That's the same thing over and over again. But this story, this story has more twists and turns and cliffhangers and reveals. And it's far more interesting than you might have ever imagined the story of Christmas to be. For, for us to truly understand this first reason, we have to know and understand the story. The story of Christmas, it doesn't begin with a pregnant teenager who's sitting there wondering, how did this even happen? Or or it doesn't begin even in a manger with donkeys and shepherds. You see, the the story of Christmas actually begins 2,000 years before that first Christmas. And and it begins with a couple who actually wanted so badly to have kids, but they just weren't able to get pregnant. The, The story of Christmas starts with a remarkable unfeasible, completely unimaginable promise given to a, a less than remarkable man. The, the story of Christmas, it begins with a promise about you. And I'm not talking about the greater you, like the, the, all of you. I'm, I'm literally, I, I'm saying that, no, 2,000 years before the very first Christmas, God made a promise about you and about you and about you. But since we don't have time to sit down together and read the entire first half of our Bible, the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. I'm going to give you kind of a Cliff's Notes version. Kind of a storyteller's kind of version of the, the story of Christmas. And so here's how the author of Genesis begins this story. We're introduced to a man named Abram. Uh, we actually know him as Abraham and I, I kind of thought I'd do this just to see for fun how many people grew up in the church like I did. Father Abraham had many sons. Amen. Many sons father Abraham. Thank you. And if you feel left out of that, it's not because we're cooler than you are. Tell me. T- trust me. If you feel left out, probably good for you. But anyway, <laughs> Genesis 12. This is where this is where we're kind of introduced to this. The Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country, your people." and your father's household to the land I will show you. And really, we're, we're, we're jumping right in. Like, we're not told why God chose Abram. We have, we have no idea. Kind of like later, we don't really even know why God chose Mary and Joseph. All we know about that is that Mary found favor with God. That's the extent of our, our insight into why God chose Mary. But one thing we do know is that God kind of... He walks onto the pages of history with Abram here. He kind of introduced himself, hi, I'm Yahweh God. Oh, and hey, by the way, he gives them this call to walk away from everything he's ever known. Because we do know that back then, much like today in ancient times, a person's country, their people, their, their household, which would have been their extended family, that's what represented security for them. That was their legacy. That was their protection. And God says, hey, nice to meet you, Abram. Would you just go ahead and leave all of that? For me, in exchange, exchange, God says this, I will make you, talking to Abram, I will make you a great nation. Now, what's important to know about this (laughs) particular promise is at the time, Abram was 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 75 years old. They don't have any children. And God's making a promise to him about the fact that they're going to have so many that that eventually they'll become this great nation. And Abraham's got to be thinking, God, that's a... That's a, quite quite an undertaking for you. I, I'm 75, I have no children, and that little blue pill hasn't been invented yet. So I don't know, like I don't know how, I don't know how all this happens. But God, but God, <laughs> He's not done, right? God isn't finished, and so He goes on. And He says, and Abram, I will bless you. I will bless you, and I will make your name great." And as I read that, I'll make your name great. It really kind of hit me. It, it's awesome to think that in this moment, all of us us friends here, we are the fulfillment of that promise. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Like, we're the fulfillment of that promise right now today because if Abraham's name had not been great, we would not be talking about him today. We wouldn't know anything about him. But there was more. And this, this, this next blessing, this next uh, promise, it kind of set the stage for Christmas, 2,000 years before the, the very first Christmas. He says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Abram, someone is going to be better off because of you. There are people who will be blessed because of you. And the question is who? And this this is where this becomes so amazing. It it becomes completely unbelievable. Really, it seems impossible. It, It seems like the impossible part of God's promise. God tells Abraham exactly who will be blessed and better off because of him. You will be a blessing, in all peoples. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. All people. Like it's it's easy for us to just look at that and think about the the, the vast amount of people on the earth, and, and not take it personally. But he's talking about you. He, he really is, he's talking about you. He's not, he's not just talking about the billions of people on earth, and he, absolutely he is, but he's, he's talking about you, and, and 4,000 years later, you, you who the writers of Scripture tell us that God knew you before you were born, that God was there as he knit you together in your mother's womb, you, he, he knew you. And this is what's crazy. Like, we, if, for those of us that know that Scripture says that about us, like, we think, oh, that's cool. So God had an idea. He had our mom and daddy hook up. And then there we were. Right? No, no. <laughs> this is telling us that 4,000 years before you breathe your first breath, that 4,000 years before the pain that you feel, before the joy you feel, before the sorrow you feel, before the hurt that you feel today, he knew you and God made a promise about you. He made a promise to not leave you there. He made a promise to say that he has a plan to get you out of there and from there. A promise that he had a plan to bless you. A promise that the entire world, that every generation will be better off because of what God had planned to do through Abraham. And Abraham, thankfully, man, he, he believed God. Eventually. He eventually believed God. He and Sarah then had a son, Isaac. A- and then begins the story of what would probably be the most dysfunctional families ever imaginable. Re- regardless of how dysfunctional your family is or how crazy your Thanksgiving was, trust me. Like, it does not hold a candle to this story of this family. Uh, this story is... Filled with stories that, that you might remember or know if you grew up in the church. Or maybe you've heard bits and pieces of them. And never once, I, I would think, never once have you thought or tied them to anything to do with Christmas. You see, the dysfunction of this family, it starts at the top. It starts at the top with Abraham. Here, women, imagine this. Abraham, like, he, he meets a king one day. He meets a king. And apparently Sarah is smoking hot. We don't, I mean, we don't know, but we can assume. Because he's so scared that this king is gonna kill him for his wife, that he makes up a plan and he says, Hey, Sarah, just tell him you're my sister. <laughs> and so she says he's his sister, she's his sister, and the king takes her for part of his harem for a part of time. Like, that's insane. Well, the crazy thing is, like, father, like, son, Isaac did the exact same thing a few years later. I mean, he said the same thing about his wife, Rebecca. Like, hey, it's just my wife, because he was scared that he was gonna be killed as well. Well, Isaac had two sons later on, and Jacob and Esau, and they man, they hated each other. They hated each other. Eventually their families grew and they went to war with each other. Uh, one One of their sons had 10 sons and ended up selling one of their brothers into slavery. Joseph, he had a fancy coat. Remember that? Like it's insane the stuff that took place in their life. And early on, like seemingly nobody, very few to nobody in their family was being blessed at all. And certainly nobody outside that family felt any kind of blessing because of Abraham's family. Then, you know, kind of jump a few centuries here, but then the entire family, the entire family of Abraham are now slaves in Egypt, and they're in no position, they're in no position to bless anybody. Then God does something for them, and, they, and he sends Moses, you, you probably know some of that story, Moses then shows up, let my people go, and then Egypt, at that point, after you know what happened during that time, if you know that story, Egypt certainly wasn't feeling blessed at all, like, they were not feeling blessed. And eventually, after time, again, about 1,000 years after that initial promise to Abraham, Abraham's family has grown to the point and become large enough that they've actually become an official kingdom. Right? And so one of those promises is being fulfilled right there. Jesus, or God had said, hey, I'll make you a great nation. Well, now they are the kingdom of Israel. And so as a kingdom, they take on kings. The first two kings, like, they go to war with the surrounding nations. So those surrounding nations certainly aren't feeling blessed. The third king, Solomon, and he, he goes off the deep end, ends up marrying some, some girls from those other nations. And, and instead of blessing those nations, they just become like those nations. And they're worshiping the same idols. They become idolaters and pagan worshipers. And so God's not happy with that. And God judges the nation of Israel, his people, Abraham's family. And he does that by allowing them to be invaded and Solomon's temple that he spent all this time and money building to Yahweh, to God, for them to worship. It gets destroyed. And it seems as if all opportunity for what God had promised was lost. And, And chaos completely reigns in Abraham's family and the people of Israel. Because Abraham's family can't even bless herself. Much less, how can they bless anybody else but God? God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper, and in the midst of the chaos, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and prophet really, they were just the mouthpiece of God during that time. God would speak to them and, and tell the prophet things that he wanted his people to know, and they stood before the people, and the people revered them, they respected them, they knew that God spoke to them, and they would listen to what God had to say to them. And so God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and he said this, I will also make you, speaking to Abraham's family the the Israelites the kingdom of Israel a light for the Gentiles and and Gentiles really just that's another time they're talking to you I I would assume most of us are non-Jews that's really all Gentile means and I'll make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth and they got to be thinking a light to the Gentiles (laughs) a light to the, the Gentiles aren't super impressed right now God if you haven't noticed See, Israel can't save herself. How would the nation bring salvation to the ends of the earth? None of that makes any sense. In fact, the idea is completely insulting, God. Uh, Their economy was in complete shambles. They had been overrun so many times. Nobody in in the kingdom of Israel at that time is feeling blessed. but, But God continues to keep his promise in around 436 B.C., 1,600 years after the original promise to Abraham. He spoke through another prophet, this time through the prophet Malachi, and his words were impossible, nearly impossible for the people to take seriously. Now, you got to imagine we're talking 16, we can't fathom that time span that they've been waiting for the supposed promise that they've heard so much about, for, for something to actually happen. But Malachi stands before him and says, don't fear, don't, don't abandon hope, and he says, my name Again, God speaking to his people, my name will be great among the nations. And if the people could have responded directly to God, they would have. (laughs) God, no, it won't. (laughs) No, it won't. You must be missing something because the name of Yahweh, of God, our God is being mocked among the nations. Your nation, your people, the ones that you call your people were pathetic. We, We can't even feed and protect ourselves. So stop with all the hype. Stop bringing up old stuff. It's really what they're saying, right? Because Zeus's name is great. Jupiter's name is, is great. And if you haven't heard, there's a guy named Alexander coming down the road in a little bit. And by the way, his name is literally Alexander the Great. And so his name will be great. But Malachi, and he just continues. So God continues to speak My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets in every place. Incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be, be, be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And you can't blame them. But nobody, nobody took him seriously. At this point, they had heard the promises. They hear, heard the prophets speak. They knew what God had supposedly said. And so why should they? Why, why should they take anything seriously? At this point, they'd already been overrun by the Assyrians, taken over by Babylonia, the the Persians, the Macedonians. And and to add insult to injury, in just about 300 years from this point, uh, the Roman general Pompey, he's coming to take them over again, to invade Jerusalem. And there begins kind of the the tyrannical reign of the Roman Empire in Judea and Jerusalem. And things were clear. They were clear. They understood. All nations would not be blessed through Abraham. Abraham. Israel would not be a light to the Gentiles and the God, their God, would not be worshipped throughout all the world. They were pretty clear on that. Nobody was interested in a God too weak to protect and take care of his own people. (laughs) But when things were as hopeless as you could imagine, when they were as hopeless as they had ever been, God's promise to Abraham was completely and hopelessly out of reach for them. But then God moved. Then God moved. And the Apostle Paul, who we talk about all the time, he was a Pharisee, which really just means he was a Jewish religious leader. Uh, he knew the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the stories that we're talking about today. He knew it forwards and backwards. He knew the history of his people. He knew the backstory of Christmas better than anybody and so just a few years, just a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, when, when Paul's sitting down and he's kind of looking back on how it all took place, how it all came to fruition, he's looking back and how God fulfilled his promise to Abraham through Jesus. Here's how he sets it up, and I love it. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, when the set time, when the set time, when the time that God had planned, And prepared for since the beginning of time, when that set time had fully come. When God had everything just the way he wanted it. When he got to the point where an expanding empire, the Roman Empire, was creating a common culture and a common language, making communication easier than it had ever been. And they had developed a highway and a seaport system connecting all the world's major population centers, making travel way, way, way easier than it had ever been. Which created a means by which they could take the story, export the message for the world to the world. When that time had come, when that set time had fully come, God finally, God finally sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A little town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A descendant of David. To be even clearer, a descendant of Abraham. Abraham. In some ways, in so many ways, and it's so hard for us. Again, I said it already, but f- so hard for us to wrap our minds around this kind of time span, this kind of massive narrative story arc. But in some ways, the story of Christmas, in some ways, the, the, the twists and the turns and the off-ramps and the, the interruptions and the dead ends and the seemingly, this is never going to happen. In some ways, the story of Christmas makes the Christmas story so much easier to believe. Because when you know the story of Christmas, the Christmas story is no longer just this one-off random event. The the Christmas story, it's finally now, it's a narrative that's played out over 2,000 years where we can watch and see the hand of God as he crafts and he knits together and he weaves the story of Jesus throughout all of time because the story of Jesus has been told from page one until the last page. And until when the perfect time had come, at that perfect time, when the set time had come, the angel came to a virgin, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And He'll be greater than all before. Be greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets. He will be great. And he will be called. He'll be called something that nobody's ever been called. Nobody before has ever been called. Nobody after will ever be called again. He will be called son of the most high. So it turns out, after all of it, that God, he has kept his promise. Israel would finally be a light to the world. The God of Israel would be worshiped throughout the world. We're proving that today. And the world would be blessed through Abraham. And so ends the backstory to the Christmas story. It's a 2,000 year saga that is fascinating. It's amazing. It's insanely inspiring. And it's also quite convicting. It's convicting because if the arrival of Jesus was a blessing to the world, shouldn't Jesus' followers be a blessing to the world as well? And Are we? Am I? Are you? If the world is better off because of Jesus... Shouldn't the world be better off because of Jesus' followers? And is it? If Jesus was the light of the world, shouldn't our collective presence make the world a a brighter place? And So does it? Or, or, kind of better yet, does does it even matter? And it matters a great deal. These are good questions to wrestle with at any time, but especially... Especially this time of year. And church, let me tell you, from where I sit, relevant community church, you are a blessing to our community. You are. You are a bright light in our world. People are better off because of you. Elkhorn is is certainly a better place because of you. Refugees in North Omaha are better off, they are blessed. Because of you. Uh, Corinne orphans on the Thai-Burma border are blessed and better off because of you. And and all because you're not content, right? You're not content with simply to believe things about Jesus. To simply believe the story that there was a a virgin who gave birth to a baby in a manger and sing carols about that baby. Uh, You're not content to just simply believe those things. So many of you, so many of you have chosen to follow him. So many of you have chosen to follow him and allow him to be the leader and the Lord of your life and embrace his ways in your life. And so we are a blessing. We are a living, breathing example of the fact that when a community of people does that, the world becomes a better place. At Christmas, God blessed the world with a different kind of king. And he came to establish a different kind of kingdom. It's another's first kingdom ruled by another's first king. And whenever and wherever his followers, whenever and wherever we come together to live out that kingdom idea, that kingdom ethic, the world is a better place because of it. To bless the world to so bless the world was just one of three reasons God gave us Christmas. Next time, we'll talk about the second one in part 2 of our series Reasons for the Season. But before we go, I want, wanted to leave you with this. The story that began with a promise to Abraham isn't a one plot line ends with the kiss kind of Hallmark movie, right? And it's not just ancient history. It's our history. It's a living, breathing, narrative story arc that continues to unfold through us today. We are the current chapter of the story. Think about it. He's inviting us, just as he invited Abraham, into a story of faith, into a story of promise, and into a story of blessing. This story, our story, is about God's relentless pursuit of a relationship with his creation. It's about a promise that spans generations, a love that crosses all centuries, a plan that encompasses all of humanity, a plan that encompassed you. Here's the incredible part. We're not just bystanders in the story. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, we are active participants in the story of Christmas today. The promise given to Abraham, the blessing that was fulfilled in Jesus, is now entrusted to us, his followers. We are the carriers of this continued legacy. We are the ones called to share this blessing with the world. So let's live in this reality of this ongoing narrative, of this ongoing story that we're a part of. And let's ask, how can we, how can we in our everyday lives continue the story of God's promise and blessing? How can we show the world the love of Jesus and the fulfillment of God's continued promise to Abram? How can we do it? How can you do it? The story of God's love, the story of his promise, it didn't end with the pages of Scripture. It's being written right now. It's being written right now in our lives, in our church, and in our community. We are a part of something much bigger than ourselves A story of hope and a story of redemption and a story of blessing that continues to this day to bless the world. Remember the same God who spoke to Abraham all those thousands of years ago. Who declared his word through the prophets. Who entered into our world through the person of Jesus is speaking to you. Today he's in the room. Today he empowers us and he guides us and he uses us to fulfill his promise to fulfill his promise to bless the world. Would you pray with me? Hey, if you're here with us this morning and, and you've never accepted that blessing, if you will, if you've never accepted that gift that's laid out before you, the fact that Jesus has offered you forgiveness for your sin, if, if you've realized, hey, I, I am a mess and I've never once asked Jesus to be my forgiver. I've never asked him to lead my life. You can do that with me this morning. I'll lead you in a prayer that you can just repeat after me. Just say this, Jesus, I know you love me. And Jesus, I know my need for a savior. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you be my savior and my leader Lord, would you be my Lord going forward? Father God, I thank you so much for the way that you chose to write this story. That we get so pigeonholed into this idea of Christmas being this one evening event that we celebrate every year. And really, really, when we look closer, we can see you telling us about Jesus from page one. And we can watch that story being written over the course of time. God, an understanding of that allows us to live in the moment today, knowing we're still part of that same story. So God, help us as we walk out these doors. That we can live more like you. That we can walk uh, more like you. That we, can, that we can serve people for you. That we can tell them about you. That we can see this world blessed and changed by you. Lord, we love you. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.